This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Thursday, August the 4th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave. Let's hit those horns and go. (laughs) I just pointed to the camera. I'm going to give that win to the horns today. So one and one since I'm back from vacation. I'll get you. Coming up on the show today, Michelle McQuig stops by. We'll take a look at a couple of the major news stories. You'll also hear from community reporter Dorothy McNaughton previewing an upcoming event celebrating the 75th anniversary of the bush plane de Havilland. Map Canada explains how to access Window 11 for ARMS processors. He's going to have to explain what that means. That's just a bunch of words and acronyms. Need the information. Sean will be here to help you with that one. Karen McGee will be here with the Central Regional Report. She's got details on Boxing Without Barriers, an inclusive boxing program in Ottawa. Going to throw some hands with Karen McGee. And film reviewer Amy Amanti will share her thoughts on the Netflix comedy series, Boo B. B is actually uh, an expletive, but uh, we can't say that word on the air. So Boo B. It rhymes with uh, the word rich. Let's get to our top story of the day. Defense Minister Anita Anand is expected to announce today that the Canadian Armed Forces will start training Ukrainian soldiers in a third country. Karen Rebo has the story. A senior government source tells the Canadian press the new mission will include a significant number of Canadian troops and will build on the military assistance we've already given to Ukraine. That includes training Ukrainian forces on how to use the four M777 howitzers that Canada donated this year, as well as cyber assistance. Canada first launched a mission to help train the Ukrainian military, along with Britain and the U.S., after Moscow annexed the Crimean Peninsula in 2014. Ottawa says the mission helped train more than 30,000 Ukrainian soldiers before all Canadian troops were pulled out ahead of Russia's February invasion. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. While we are talking about the war in Ukraine, there are concerns about the area surrounding Ukraine's biggest nuclear power plant. Ian Pennell explains. The head of the UN nuclear watchdog warning the Zaporizhia power plant in Ukraine is completely out of control. Ukraine accusing Russia of storing explosives, weapons and heavily armoured vehicles inside the plant, using it for cover to fire rockets at a nearby town. Russia's accuse Ukraine of attacking their positions. Secretary of State Blinken blaming the Kremlin for the risks. Russia is now using the plant as a military base to fire at Ukrainians, knowing that They can't and won't shoot back. The UN nuclear chief warning the situation is getting more perilous by the day. Russian troops captured the plant early in the war. And one more story related to the war in Ukraine. U.S. senators voted 95 to 1 to approve NATO membership for Finland and Sweden. Senator John Ossoff announced the vote. On this vote, the yeas are 95, the nays are 1, and one senator responded present. Two-thirds of the senators present, a quorum being present, having voted in the affirmative, the resolution of ratification is agreed to. Republican Senator Joss Hawley of Missouri cast the only no vote. Let's come back to Canada. We'll talk about the three conservative leadership hopefuls who took part in an official debate last night. Let's begin with Scott Aitchison, who laid out his climate plan. 
We will have an infrastructure resilience plan to help Canadians deal and adapt with the extreme weather events. Climate change is here, and we need to invest before disaster strikes, not after. We will lower industrial emissions by making the biggest polluters pay. We will phase out coal and intensify, densify our cities and invest in technology, not taxes. Let's hear from Jean Charest, who thinks he's the only candidate who can beat the Liberals in the next election. Well, if we've had enough of losing, if there's one thing that is now clear in the race at the moment that I am speaking to you now, is that I can win a majority government. And that's what we need. Charest discussed his place in the party after the leadership race. And you know, these questions come up in every leadership race. We're like boxers. At the end of our match, I mean, we're in the 12th round and you, you know, we're interrupted to say, well, what will you do if you don't? The fact of the matter is I'm focused on one single objective that I am going to meet, and that's becoming leader of the party and then prime minister of Canada, period. Roman Baber was also looking into the future. He says party unity will be critical in the Conservatives winning the next election. I believe that the Conservative Party is ready to form government. I believe that Canadians are tired of the Justin Trudeau Liberals and they're genuinely seeking for an alternative. And I believe that the only thing that can stand in our way of winning the next federal election is if our party is not united. And I'm going to go out of my way, whether I win uh, the leadership or not, to do everything in my power to make sure that we remain united. Two candidates were absent last night. Shere shared his thoughts on Pierre Poilievre and Leslin Lewis not showing up. Roman Baber... Scott Aitchison and I all agree on one thing. If we are going to unite the party, you have to show up. You actually have to show up. You have to speak to the membership. You can't treat them with contempt. And that clip is going to lead us into the results of yesterday's daily poll. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. We asked you, should political candidates be obligated to participate in official debates? 88.9% of you said yes. 11.1% of you said no. Today's daily poll, let's set this up with the news story, where the U.S. Department of Transportation is proposing significant changes to travel rules in favor of travelers. Jim Ryan has more. So your flight is delayed and now you're in danger of missing a connection. Under federal rules, the airline owes you a refund if it made a significant schedule change and or significantly delayed a flight. But significant has never been defined until now. The Transportation Department is proposing that flyers are due a refund if departure or arrival times are shifted by three hours or more for domestic flights, six hours for international travel. The new definition could be in place before the Christmas travel season. Jim Ryan, ABC. At AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. At what point should airlines refund travelers for delays? Over two hours? Over five hours? Only if it's canceled or never? I'm curious who's going to land on the never side of this, the total pro-airline stance. I'm sure the CEO of Air Canada is writing in right now at AMI-audio on Twitter or Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Grace Scofield, I'm coming to you first, not specifically to ask you the daily poll question, but tell the people about a travel horror story that you recently experienced. This daily poll was made for me today. Last week, I was flying back to Sault Ste. Marie, go to the airport two hours early for my flight. Breeze through security, breeze through everything, relaxing in the lounge, get on my flight on time, to fly to Sault Ste. Marie, the hour and 10 minute flight, then to circle around the city for an hour and a half while we wait for fog to clear, 
and then to fly back to Hamilton at 12.30 in the morning, 12.30 at midnight, to sit at the Hamilton airport for an hour and wait for a shuttle bus to bring me back to Billy Bishop Airport by 2 a.m. when it's dark. It's closed. There's nobody there. They don't let us in. They dropped us off at a curb at the Hamilton airport. Then they dropped us off on another curb at Billy Bishop Airport just to leave us there to sit and wait until they rebooked us on a flight. So my flight wasn't delayed, but I didn't get to my destination. And I was on a curb in downtown Toronto. Yeah. I I think that's a really important point here that a delay can occur long after the flight has actually taken off. Yes. And certainly there's fog. We don't want to put people in danger, right? Safety matters. But then what happens when you return to the ground, right? What happens when the scrambled eggs happen and occur when you arrive back in Hamilton or Billy Bishop and then the service falls apart there too, right? What should the refund or compensation be? Did you get any kind of refund or compensation for that? We, everybody on the flight, was rebooked to a flight the next day. Now, here's where the problems started. They rebooked us to a 10.30 a.m. flight, didn't tell any of us. Most of us missed it. We booked half the people onto a 4.30 flight, which was then canceled, and then rebooked all of us onto an 8.30 p.m. flight, which was then delayed by two and a half hours. Aha. So there was delays and cancellations all of the next day, and I don't know, I'm not sure why. Uh, They cited staff shortages, and um, we never got anything for that either. There was no meal voucher. There was no... um, Here's a free anything. And those three hours that we were on the flight the night before, the most we'd gotten was one of those like tiny airport bottles of water Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. a three hour delay plus the five hour journey back to Toronto. So there was nothing. There was no kind of compensation apart from the automatic rebooking, which I did appreciate because I didn't have to deal with it. I didn't have to fiddle with it. I didn't Mm -hmm, have to wait in mm -hmm. line. That was good. But there was no other compensation. And for a potentially dangerous situation. There was a person on the flight who just received a medical procedure and was waiting to get home to the suit. It's an hour flight, mm-hmm. nothing unreasonable. And then they were on this five hour turnaround Excursion. just to go sit at Toronto Billy Bishop. And there was no kind of compensation for anybody. Yeah. Um, I think that after something like that, you know, after a two hour delay, I think that a fair compensation would be a meal voucher. It's small, But it makes sense because you're sitting there for an extra two hours and people need to eat and people need to drink something. And airport food is expensive. Mm -hmm. So anything Mm -hmm. that can help to kind of weigh the cost, get them off of the of the passenger is totally helpful and would do well for the airlines, I think, too. I think what you've identified there is a certain sense of onus where so often when this chaos occurs, the onus falls on the passenger to know their rights or do their rebooking or figure out their food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, instead of the process being rather seamless. And I do wonder about these changes in America, for example, that sort of change some of the accountability or more clearly spell out and define the accountability and how that might be able to make a difference in the passenger experience. Uh, 
I'm not going to tell you any of my travel horror stories. I've told them a bunch of times on the air. People don't need to hear them again. But it always ends up falling on the individual to try and fix the situation exactly. instead of the airline fixing yeah. the situation. So certainly we're at the point where refund and compensation should be almost an automated process Absolutely. rather than an onus-based process. Yes, and especially because for people to get to the airport in Toronto, it's expensive. Yeah. Ubers, cabs, whatever. Yeah. This, for me personally, this what was going to be a $20, $30 travel day turned into a $150 travel day. Mm -hmm. By the time I was done paying for food, Ubers, cabs, anything I needed yep. while I was out. Because by the time I got home, I'd been out of my house for about 10, 11 hours. Yeah. By yeah. the time I was home. No, totally reasonable. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense to me. Grace, thank you for this. Of course. Mike Ross, oftentimes in the big business story of the day, we've been talking about some of the issues around travel and refunds for canceled flights as a result of the pandemic. But where do you land on this daily poll? I know Grace and I didn't necessarily dive into the specifics. So let me ask it one more time. At what point should airlines refund travelers for delays over two hours, over five hours, only if it's canceled or never? Uh, I'm going to go with five hours only because my, and I've told this horror story before, a trip to Cuba where we were supposed to be in Cuba by about three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we didn't arrive in Cuba until 6 a.m. the next day because of two delays, including one where we sat at the airport for roughly uh, eight hours or nine hours uh, in the actual airport. Uh, that was not pleasant and we lost a full day of our trip we were offered a $75 travel voucher to go with the same company within the same year. And it was just like, nah, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, I think five hours is, is sort of the cutoff for me, even if it's a partial refund, right? And, and that was my biggest complaint was we asked that we be refunded the one day of yeah. our trip. Yeah, yeah. Just that one day. And they were completely unreasonable with us. And I've never traveled with that company again. I'd learned my lesson and we were delayed on both ends of our trip, which made it even just yeah. that much yeah. more annoying. Just to I'd grapple with this question specifically on my end, I would say the number for me is somewhere around three hours or so, just because I think about people trying to make connections versus directees. Sure. That so many times when someone is making travel plans, I, for example, will never do a 90 minute layover. I will always go longer than a 90 minute layover. Some usually two and a half to three hours. So that sort of is the window that I create for myself to say that should give you enough time to factor in sort of maintenance delays or, you know, yeah. the commonplace 25 minutes that it takes to get all the carry on figured out and uh, bag checks and gate checks and all this kind of stuff. So I would say that somewhere around three hours makes sense because that's when someone who's maybe taken precaution, the precaution wasn't enough. So it comes, right. it comes down to onus a little bit when I'm thinking about uh, some of these specifics. Mike, thank you for your thoughts on this one. We appreciate it. Grace, thank you as well. I want to hear from you at AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. And while you're contemplating your answer and finding us on those social platforms, here once again is Grace with your National Weather Update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where it's cloudy today with a 60% chance of drizzle early this morning that'll clear this afternoon with a high of 27 degrees. In Halifax, it's mainly sunny with a heat warning in effect and a high of 31 degrees. In Montreal, it's cloudy with a 60% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 28 degrees. 
In Ottawa, it's cloudy today with a 60% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 27 degrees. In Toronto, it's cloudy with a 40% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm today with a high of 29 degrees. In Thunder Bay, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this morning with a high of 24 degrees. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's going to clear up this morning with a high of 29 degrees. Over in Saskatoon, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 33 degrees. In Calgary, Alberta, a mix of sun and cloud with a 40% chance of showers late this afternoon with a risk of a thunderstorm and a high of 23 degrees. In Edmonton, Alberta, a few showers ending this morning, then mainly cloudy, with a risk of a thunderstorm early this morning and a high of 20 degrees. Up in Yellowknife, it's mainly cloudy today with a high of 19 degrees. In Vancouver, BC, it's cloudy with a 30% chance of showers this morning and early this afternoon that'll clear up this afternoon with a high of 20 degrees. And in Victoria, BC, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 21 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up after the break, Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press will stop by. We'll take a look at a couple of significant news stories, including the meeting between Canada and Germany's foreign ministers yesterday in Montreal. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Because of the long weekend in Ontario, we've rejigged a couple pieces this week. So instead of starting the week talking to Michelle McQuig, we get a bonus edition of Michelle McQuig from the Canadian Press on a Thursday. Michelle is the weekend news editor at CP and joins us now to talk about a couple of major news stories. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. Live from the newsroom itself. Live from the newsroom itself. Michelle McQuig in the field, on the ground. Michelle, (laughs) let's jump into a story out of Montreal yesterday where German Foreign Affairs Minister Annalena Baerbach and Canada's Foreign Minister uh, Melanie Jolie held public events in Montreal. Michelle, what were some of the key takeaways from these meetings? Yeah, well, the the main issue that they sounded off about, they they discussed a number of things, but the main issue that they were talking about had to do with the the turbine question that we've all been hearing a lot about. This is the decision that Canada made to return a turbine uh, from Siemens that was being repaired in Montreal to Germany. It will then be used in the Nord 1 pipeline, uh, which is owned by Russia and helps deliver gas to Germany and is being cited as a cause of the gas shortage that the country is experiencing right now. Um, Russia has been saying that part of why they've been cutting gas supplies has to do with the fact that there was this turbine out for repairs. What Melanie Jodi and Annalie de Baerbach were saying yesterday is that basically by returning the turbine to Germany, which has drawn a lot of criticism from a number of circles, they claim that they did the right thing because what they've done is called Russia's bluff. And now the fact that gas output from that pipeline has been dialed back to about 20%, um, even though the turbine is Oh, sorry, Michelle. We had a little. We had a little mispress with the button there. Continue. No, well, I mean, she, she said it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, 
how that works. Um, she's, the fact that all the, the, the gas output has not improved, in fact, it's been dialed back further. They're saying that this is now proof that Russia is using that as a pretext, that's part of the political gamesmanship, and that returning the turbine makes that pretty clear. And I think those clips that you have will probably give an even clearer sense of what they're saying. Yeah, so I, I managed to, from some of your colleagues, they, they pulled some of the audio from this event yesterday. So let's hear from mm-hmm. Minister Baerbock talking about the way in which Russia is leveraging energy policy. He tried to split us. He tried to play games with us. And now the whole world can see crystal clear that he is just using energy as a gameplay. Michelle, I know it's always tough to gauge public perception after an event like this. It's so kind of real time. But does it seem like the public events yesterday may have quelled some of the sentiment on the decision to return the energy equipment? You're right. It's really hard to say, but I, I'm kind of thinking probably not. Uh, Ukrainian, the, the Ukrainian Canadian Congress is one of the more vocal advocacy groups that have been really, really, really vocal about this and saying this is a betrayal that Canada perpetrated here by by easing those sanctions and allowing that turbine to go back. And they're expected to redouble their calls for Canada to reverse that decision today, even though the turbine currently is in Germany. like It's already back there. It's not in Russia. It's not in the pipeline, but it is back in Europe. So there is still expected to be a certain amount of backlash. Uh, House of Commons Committee is going to be diving deep into this issue today. So it's not going away. I, I would be a bit surprised if yesterday's news there was enough to put that one back on ice. Mm. Michelle, let's jump to a different story out of the national capital regions. A couple of peculiar crashes, vehicle crashes around the Ottawa area yesterday. What happened? What happened early in the morning around Parliament Hill? Yeah, so the first one took place around 3.30 in the morning, and it was an unidentified vehicle. We don't have any details about this. We don't know a whole lot about this incident in general. But it smashed into the gates of Parliament Hill. Um, they, it was stopped from going much further due to, quote, security infrastructure. We don't know a lot about how it got taken down. There was minimal damage to the gates itself, um, and no charges have been laid so far. But uh, that was definitely uh, right at the gates of, of, the, of the precinct that that happened and then there was a crash later in the day at 24 Sussex, the unoccupied residence that would typically house the prime minister. What happened with that one? That's right. That's an even weirder one. So fast forward about six hours from the Parliament Hill crash, and you have a tour bus, an amphibious tour bus that helps uh, spin people around the national capital region, the land and water. It was being driven by staff driver. There was no one on board at the time. But yeah, it went. It, it crashed right into steps of 24 Sussex, which, as you note, is the Prime Minister's official residence, even though it's not currently occupied. Um, and a lot of damage there. No injuries reported. Uh, no charges laid so far, even if the driver was taken into custody. Uh, but there was some fencing that was smashed and, and some, some very visible damage around 24 Sussex after that particular crash. There appears to be no connection between these. But, Michelle, what a weird coincidence to get these within a couple hours of each other. It's really odd. Yeah, and it really was. Like one was 3.30 in the morning. The, the, the tour bus thing was at like 9.30 or thereabouts. It was quite odd. They're, they're not talking about any connection. Uh, we don't even have charges laid in either case just yet. So there's a lot we don't know, but it's uh, it's a weird one. And it definitely uh, <laughs> threw a bit of a wrench of the day's plans for my Ottawa colleagues who don't typically have to cover these kinds of things, let alone two of them in one day. And I should say, just for the point of clarification, I returned from Ottawa on Tuesday. So I was not involved. I was not doing any driving around Ottawa on Wednesday. <laughs> you Mich- have that Ottawa cops? It's not, it's not Dave Brown. Yeah, not Dave Brown. Put that on a T-shirt. No. Michelle, thank you for this. We'll talk to you tomorrow for the news panel. <laughs> 
Sounds great, Dave. Take care. That's Michelle McQuig, the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up next, community reporter Dorothy McNaughton previews an upcoming event celebrating the 75th anniversary of the Bush plane to Haviland Beaver. But first, here is Canadian Press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. North American stock markets rallied yesterday. Toronto's TSX index gained 40 points to 19,545. New York's Dow Jones average surged 416 points. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 190 points. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 77.85 cents U.S. Asian shares are mostly higher today as investors welcome easing jitters over the visit of U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan once she left for South Korea. Saskatoon-based fertilizer giant Nutrients says its net profit increased 224% in the second quarter to $3.6 billion as the war in Ukraine continues to put pressure on global agricultural markets. And Toyota's profit fell 18% from a year earlier in the quarter as a semiconductor shortage dented production at Japan's top automaker. Toyota officials apologized today to customers who've been waiting for their cars after putting in orders. Some have waited so long there was a model change in the interim. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. A couple of minutes ago, our audio technical producer, Grace Scofield, shared the horror story of traveling to Sault Ste. Marie last week. Well, hopefully our trip to the Sioux isn't as difficult as we connect with community reporter Dorothy McNaughton. Hey, good morning, Dorothy. Good morning, Dave. So, Dorothy, you recently had a chance to uh, take in a little bit of community radio and found a deep appreciation for it. What happened? Well, my husband and his brothers own a cottage uh, down in the Halliburton area. It's, a, it's near a little town called Wilberforce. Um, and Halliburton's the nearest village. It's still a village, but it's the nearest bigger community where we often go to shop. And so they have a really active community radio station there. And it's about the only radio station we can get in at the cottage. <laughs> but it's a wonderful uh, resource. And we've listened to it for many years and really appreciate it. Were there any particulars in pro- any particular programs that jumped out to you or any particular service that it offered to you that really jumped out to you? Oh, yes. There's one that we kind of giggle over, but we really appreciate it. It's called Pet Detective. <laughs> So what it is, uh, people phone in if their pet's lost, a cat or a dog or whatever. If it's lost, then what area it's lost in. And uh, and then other people phone in to the station with pets that they found and they connect people up with their lost pets. I think it's great. I mean, that's awesome. That's I mean, that, that speaks yeah. to like the service of broadcasting, right? Yes. That, that there's a deep connection to the community yeah. in a very specific way. It's one of yes. the reasons why I got into broadcasting in the first place was to talk about serving the community. And that's like ultra, ultra local, which is oftentimes what makes these kinds of stations such fixtures in the community. And Very much so, yes. And now that may not necessarily have the most commercial appeal, which means there's a lot of need for the community to support stations like this. I know that in a lot of urban centers, that tends to be from a musical point of view, that these kinds of community radio stations are what support local artists in a non-commercialized way. So in this case, we're talking about maybe more frontline community service. So how can people support Canoe FM? 
Yes, uh, they have um, fundraising that goes on. And, you know, when Roger's service went out, they were in the middle of a fundraising campaign. Oh, gosh. um, With a silent auction which people needed to phone in a bid for. And so it got a little complicated, but they just carried it on afterwards uh, during their regular programming. Um, and every year they have a draw for a trip. So that, and we buy a ticket every year to support them. Uh, this year, it's a trip to Newfoundland and Labrador, 10 days. So oh, we right would love to win that trip. <laughs> right on. Okay, uh, Dorothy, I'm going to put on my broadcaster voice for a second here. Because if people want to learn more about Canoe FM 100.9 FM broadcasting out of Halliburton, Ontario, you can learn more at canoefm.com. Canoe FM. Dot com. Grab a paddle and get on board. There, I gave him the catchphrase. Just, uh, just me sitting there, just doing, just going off the top of my dome there, Dorothy. Mm-hmm. No, that's super I cool. Love it. That's super cool. I love community radio. I got my start yeah. in community radio, and uh, I'm always, I'm always grateful for all the folks who are doing this out of a, a passion, passion and love yes. for the industry, and passion for people. Big time yes. supporters of that one. CanoeFM.com. Uh, Dorothy, any last mm-hmm. thoughts on Canoe FM before we move on? Um, just we heard a really interesting item that was done by one of their um, volunteers, uh, and he must have a science background, but he interviewed a fascinating woman who talked about blue-green algae and how it affected the lakes, and, and, it, and she has just started with um, an environmental center that's based in Dorset, and it was an hour long, and it was just so fascinating, which could apply to so many lakes across this country. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a major, major environmental story that we need to be considering the way in which that impacts our wildlife. Absolutely. Again, the value of community radio, exploring some of these bigger topics in a less commercialized way. Really, really important stuff. Hey, Dorothy, let's talk about something that we've touched on before. I remember last year you shared such a personal story about the Canadian Bush Plain Heritage Center in Sault Ste. Marie. And there's a 75th anniversary coming up for one of the planes. So tell me a little bit about the de Havilland Beaver. Yes, it's it's a fascinating plane. It's been around for 75 years, hard to believe. And it's what I would call a workhorse. Um, de Havilland uh, put out, you know, quite a few of these at the time over the years. And quite a few of them are still in operation. And uh, I, I heard a, an interview with the woman that's in charge of the Bush Pine Heritage Center. And she was saying that they have a plane there, which I'm very familiar with, which my dad used to fly in. He wasn't a pilot, but he flew in uh, up, up and down the James Bay, Hudson Bay coast. Um, and she said that plane could still be operational. That's in, actually oh, wow. in the wow. museum. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Um, it's a float plane, and it's uh, it's bright yellow. The the Lanza Force M and R ones are bright yellow and make a very distinctive sound. We used to run from our house to the lake where my dad that plane used to land to meet my dad, and we could oh. hear it coming over the house. We knew. <laughs> what it was. <laughs> uh, Dorothy, there's a very specific event going on here on August the 14th, but of course we're always encouraging people to check out the museum regardless of the special event. But what in particular is happening on the 14th? Well, they're celebrating the 75th anniversary. They have lots of activities for kids. They always do. It's a great place to take kids. Um, there's lots of things for them to do, but there's additional things. They can work on a little model of the beaver. Uh, People do have to register for that. Um, They can do uh, arts and crafts type activities. um, And then there's lots of things for adults and everybody to enjoy. Um, They they do have to, it's by donation. Um, So, you know, 
people pay whatever they can to get in and they they will have um music music from all the different eras i think that's interesting oh, by fun. local musicians fun. yeah yeah and um also uh food and drinks so there's the superior brewing company and then for kids there's and adults there's beaver tails uh, mm-hmm. and um ice cream <laughs> Uh, Dorothy, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking in my head, I wonder what the number one song in 1947 was. If we're doing 75 years of, of music to celebrate uh, the eras of the plane, I'm curious 75 years ago what the number one song was. But uh, yeah, maybe well, we can know. do a little crack research on that before the segment's Sh- over. Sure, and I'll let you know when I go what they played yeah. from the 40s. <laughs> hey, uh, Dorothy, I, I hope you don't find this question emotionally crass, but you mentioned how the plane has that personal connection to you and remembering your father. When you get events like this how would you describe the nostalgia that you feel the emotions that you feel about events like this oh my gosh I get tears in my eyes I mean I'm a very emotional person to start with but it's just so many memories of my dad and and living on the lands of forest base and the pilots I mean the phenomenal pilots there were very few accidents with those planes um I just have a deep love in my heart for uh, for for the pilots, for the planes, for Lands of Forest and MNR and the work they do, firefighting and all of that. It's just, um, it's a phenomenal service that a lot of people don't stop to think about. Mm. And when we live in the north, in the bush, um, you know, that's, that's an integral part of our community. Mm, yeah, especially especially around safety and community and wildfire season, 100%. Yeah. It's something we need to be thinking about always. Dorothy, I apologize for the sort of emotionally loaded question there, but thank you for, for sharing that experience with us. And I just want to remind okay. folks, August the 14th, Bush Plain Heritage Center in Sault Ste. Marie. And for more information, you can visit bushplain.com slash beaver dash birthday dash bash and uh, we'll put that up on the blog after the show ami.ca slash now blog dorothy we cannot talk to you unless we talk about the rural get together with technology the northern ontario and rural gtt what's coming up with the next event so the next meeting is uh, tuesday august 16th and uh, we always start at excuse me, 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, 4 p.m. Pacific. We invite everybody from all across Canada. So we're really happy to be able to continue this uh, over the summer because some of the programs shut down over the summer. But we ask people, do you want to continue? And, and you know, however many people come, uh, they're very welcome. And so we did continue it. And it's uh, just a general question and answer. Um, so if people have tech issues they've run into and they need help, it's just a great way to get help from our peers and people who know more about certain things than we mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dorothy, I always think the general check-in is a good idea because you and, and your colleagues over there, I, mean, I don't say you and your colleagues, but I know that you're kind of involved in this and the way you tell us yes. about it is always really interesting. Sometimes there's very particular themes, which is good because it's good to have a guided yes. conversation. But we know everybody is playing with technology in their own way, and we all run into our road bumps in our own special ways. So I think it's awesome when you guys do a more general check-in and say, hey, let's open up the floor. Who's got thoughts? Yes, that's right. And then the topic in September will be whatever the people at this particular call feel we should emphasize. And I'm like you. I love when there's a topic uh, because then if I am having a specific problem with that, I can ask it. But as you say, these general ones are also helpful because you can ask anything. Yeah. Which, which in theory was kind of the root of the get together with technology. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where it got started. It was more about general check-ins rather than formal presentations. 
Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and, and, you know, I love it because, you know, many of us are not in a community where there, there was an in-person group or will be an in-person group. So these Zoom ones are phenomenal. Anybody can take part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although, of course, the great irony being you need technology to learn about technology. But, uh, <laughs> that's well, that's, true. but we'll, get caught ourselves, we'll get caught in a causation loop if we go too far down that road. Hey, Dorothy, <laughs> thank you for making time to be with us on a Thursday. We really appreciate hearing from you. All the best to you and enjoy the time out there in the Sioux in the summer months. And we'll catch up with you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much. That's Dorothy McNaughton, community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. If you want to learn more about these stories, visit the blog, ami.ca slash nowblog, ami.ca slash nowblog. Let's head over to Mike Ross. He's got the big business story of the day. So, Mike, a few weeks ago on What's Trending, Nazreen Abdelmajid was telling us about this video game that was trending about stray cats. And it turns out that it's intersected into the world of business. It sure has. And and the world of philanthropy uh, as well. This is uh, a video game called Stray in which a cat hero winds his way or her way along rusted pipes and jumps over all kinds of uh, uh, beams and, and wires and sludge and stuff and decodes clues in a way uh, to look, look for and locate stray cats. But now... That video game is not only uh, allowing cat lovers to play video games, but it's raising money for real cats. Thanks to online fundraising platforms, gamers are now playing that game while streaming the game. And viewers are making donations to a whole bunch of different uh, shelters and Mm. and animal uh, hospitals and charities uh, all over the place. And it's it's kind of neat the way this is sort of crossing over into the world of business and philanthropy. For example, a shelter in Nebraska was offered a chance to team up with the Stray team, and they jumped at it. They got four copies of the video game to give away. They solicited donations for $5 to be entered into a raffle to win it, or one of those games. In one week, they raised $7,000. Wow. wow. And they said that the vast majority of the 550 donors – to this shelter in Nebraska in the U.S. We're actually donating from Germany and from Malta. Oh, wow. Uh, and then the company, on top of donating those four video games, then donated another $1,000 plus to the shelter. So it's kind of neat where, you know, people have sort of embraced this sort of kind of a new type of game involving animals and, uh, and, and you know, the stray. And, and let's face it, coming out of the pandemic, this is a huge issue in many, many countries where animal shelters are overrun now because people who bought animals during the uh, pandemic back at work now and are returning these animals and and giving them up to shelters. So they need the money. And this is kind of a neat, innovative way to raise money for shelters, all based on the, the, the whole, you know, YouTubers model where people play video games and other people pay to watch them. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of ways in which uh, the streaming culture, although seems kind of different to people has created a lot of positive social change, which is amazing. Mike, I don't know about you, but one of the core reasons I'm on social media is to look at animals and I follow a lot of shelters and they're always doing all kinds of great fundraisers. There's lots of ways people can lend their time or money to shelters, whether it be walking animals, being a puppy walker, a dog, 
dog walker, even going in and just playing with the cats. I know at the Ottawa Humane Society, they used to let people do that. You could just come in and go into the cat uh, room and play with cats all day, which sounds pretty good to me. If you can yeah. donate donate dog food or donate cat food or any kind of pet food is always a great way. Uh, and I love some of the uh, names of some of these fundraisers. For example, there's one dog rescue I follow where they're calling their August fundraiser Poggist. It's the Poggist fundraiser. <laughs> or again, coming back to the Ottawa Humane Society, they have an annual gala that they call the Furball. We are big animal lovers in our house. You know that. And we, we've seen the cats. That, we've seen the cats many times on air. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why the, the office door is closed uh, because <laughs> otherwise they'd be on the desk right here behind me and crawling all over, knocking over the uh, camera, knocking over the ring light. Uh, but the funniest thing is when my wife is sitting there at night watching cat videos on her phone before going to sleep and I'll be either reading a book or just starting to doze off. And suddenly I'll hear just a little because she thinks, Oh, that's the cutest video. That's so funny. And, or she'll wake me up and say, you got to see this video. You check this out. This is, this is unbelievable. So I, I love this, you know, and the whole streaming of people playing video games wasn't a concept that I was really, I couldn't really wrap my head around that. Why am I going to watch someone else play a video game? But it's huge. Yeah. I, I talked to an eight-year-old last week, uh, my cousin's kid, who said, I, I asked him, I said, so you, are you a YouTuber? Do you want to be a YouTuber when you, I want to be a YouTuber when I grow up. Yeah. Well, who are your favorites? And he just listed off like three big time YouTubers that he follows and was just like, okay, well, yeah. this is a thing. This is this is a thing. Making millions of dollars yep. playing video games, and that's why I've looked into uh, who wants to watch me play PGA Tour 2K22. <laughs> but it turns out the answer is nobody. Uh, Mike, thank you for this. You got it, Dave. That's Mike Ross with the big business story of the day coming up next. We'll talk to film reviewer Amy Amanti. She has thoughts on the Netflix comedy series Booby, not Booby, Boo B. And B is an expletive, which I can't say on the air. Putting Dave in awkward spots, trying to get him cancelled. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's a Thursday edition of AMI at the movies. All the pieces on the chessboard getting moved around this week. Okay, so I've been workshopping this the entire commercial break to ensure that I don't get canceled because of the name of the series that we're covering today contains an expletive. So how do I set this up for the trailer? How do I say this in a way that doesn't get me canceled? Because before the break, I said booby, but that sounds like booby. And that, 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 that can get me in trouble too. So then I was thinking, well, boo expletive. But that also doesn't make any sense. So how about this, considering the nature of the show? Boo! B, let's play the trailer. We're about to leave high school, and all we have to show for it is our education. We are not leaving until we've had some real fun. I can't believe we waited so long to start living. From now on, let's promise to live our lives without giving any fun. Headlights speed toward them. Erica, are you okay? Ah! Oh, God, what happened? How am I there and still here? Am I a ghost? How can I be dead and walking and talking? They know. I'm going to walk through it. Oh. Do I have to be invited in? You're not a vampire. Pull, don't push. A Netflix series. We have to figure out what's going on with the 
These kids know all about the occult. I bet they have answers. Ghosts are ghosts because they always have unfinished business in their mortal life. Until I figure out my unfinished business, I'm gonna get down to business. You're making the most of the little bit of life you have left. At least I can't get pregnant. <gasps> oh, wait. Can I? Are ghost babies a thing? Okay, so I'm, uh, intrigued. Color me intrigued. Let's bring in film reviewer Amy Amanti for her thoughts on Boo! Expletive. Uh, Amy, welcome to the show. Nice to talk to you two days in a row. Uh, right? <laughs> always nice, Dave. It's always nice. Amy, I'm not sure if this first question is a spoiler, so I blame Paul Daniel if it is, but is the main character really dead? I can't tell you that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Paul, that's your fault. Yeah. Yeah, and Paul should know this because I ordered the questions in a way that made sense to didn't spoil things. Um, but, I mean, here's the thing. If you watch this once and then watch it again, you start to see different things that you didn't see the first time. And you're like, oh, how was I able to miss that, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've got this American comedy. Um, it's a limited miniseries, which I kind of love. So I don't, yeah. I like it's you know, it's done in a handful of episodes and you're like, okay, I've got a bow on it. I don't have to wait for another season. Um, and we've got two socially invisible high school seniors, socially invisible, right? We got Erica and we got Gia. What's kind of funny is, is that nobody knows Erica's name because of a, a thing they explained through the show, but she's known as Helen who instead of Erica Vu, right? So she's like <laughs> really, really invisible. Uh, and her best friend Gia, and they resolve to like, we're gonna live our lives. It's our last, you know, two months before graduation, we're gonna live our lives. But then this random accident happens and uh, one of them gets turned into a ghost before their life really takes off. And uh, in the clip there, which wasn't described, uh, what happens is, is that uh, uh, they get hit by a car, you see a car coming. And uh, actually, it hits a moose, and the moose lands on one of them, and so oh it's like it's a funny death. Oh my! Right, and so they're looking at them. The, the they're looking at each other, saying, "How am I? How am I there?" And there is under a moose, and all you see is the shoes sticking out. And so the girl who's wearing the shoes is like, "How am I there? Uh, and how am I here?" Right. So, so Erica lives her life as a ghost beside her best friend Gia, um, and then a whole bunch of antics ensue. <laughs> um. The actors involved here, who are they? So we've got Lana Condor, who plays Erica slash Helen, but Erica is the character's name. Um, best friend is played by Zoe Coletti. And uh, then, of course, because they're high school students and they're living their best lives, there's a couple of love interests, um, oh, yeah. which ends up being fun in all sorts of ways, right? When you're socially invisible uh, and you want to date the most popular guy in school, right? Uh, so Mason Versa is uh, Erica's crush. And then there has to be, you know, the mean girl. There has to be the mean girl oh, of course. in high school. Of course. Also is like the most popular girl. And that uh, actress's name is Aparina Borelli. Okay. Uh, sorry, Brielle. Brielle. Uh, and they play Riley. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole host of casts here, uh, of, of characters here, because, you know, in a high school setting, which is why it's kind of a really interesting setting, is that we also have, you know, the awkward kids, you know, the emo kids. Mm -hmm, um, there's all mm -hmm. sorts of different cliques that are in the high school, and they all play a very important role in this storytelling. So maybe not the most famous actors out there, not the most no. notable actors out there, but so many times these kinds of high school movies end up being huge launching pads for these yes. actors. Uh, some who take off and some who uh, maybe fall back down to earth not long after they hit their uh, mid-20s. But how would you 
you say that the, that many of these young actors, I'm going to call them young actors, uh, did in these performances? You know, I think it's pretty obvious in the trailer that there's a real interesting energy here of this uh, of, of this cast that is put together. I thought they did fantastically well. And as I was watching this series, I was thinking to myself, gosh, I really want to be a part of making this show. I'm way too old to be open to be playing a high school student. But I really was like, oh man, this looks like so much fun to play. I really want to be involved in that. Um, so I was kind of living vicariously through these through these these actors. Because um, they were obviously having a great time performing. Even as I was watching that trailer, I got some real Booksmart vibes. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. Booksmart a couple of years ago, but I loved it because it was so whimsical in its tone. Mm-hmm. Whereas a movie that you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago with uh, Rebel Wilson, what was it called? Yeah. Senior Year? I think it was called Senior uh, Year. Yeah, something like that. Where, year, yeah. where we felt like the tone was all over the place and didn't work. How'd the tone work in this one? Oh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. There's uh, a certain vibe, a certain tone, as you say, with this that is more about fun and playful and whimsical and less uh, less about, uh, you know, body jokes and fart jokes. And, you know, that kind of that, that I would say that's that like that low hanging fruit slap comedy stuff. So there is some really witty writing in here and the writing comes to live because the performers are bringing that writing to life, uh, to life. So they don't have to try too hard to make the jokes land, right? If you're if you're good at what you do, you don't have to try hard. Mm, yeah, I think there, I think there's definitely something to that. Amy, sometimes when we think about the high school genre mm. of film or TV series, we think, oh, that's a really narrow audience you're aiming for. Now, we've talked about before how you and I are rapidly approaching middle age. Um, I'm, already, <laughs> I'm, ar- I'm already there. I'm already there. I'm already full-blown middle-aged man. I might even be an old man. But would you say this one cuts a wide swath in regards to its target demographic? Yeah. You know, I when I first, when this first um, popped up on my Netflix feed, I thought, Oh, really? Is this all I'm getting these days? Is this high school stuff? <laughs> um, like, don't they know who I am? And uh, and then I was like, okay, I seriously, right? It's like, uh, okay. Um, so I thought this is not going to be for me. And then as I started watching the first episode, and they're just half hour episodes. So they're nice and digestible. They move really quickly. Um, all of the comedy pieces are there. The acting is there. The demographics are there. You kind of feel like, you could be watching this like with your parents. Um, I even told my mother that she should watch this and she's way beyond this age category, right? So I think there's a lot of things that transfer uh, from different audience age groups. And of course, you know, Erica, who is is the dead girl, um, has parents who are also quite quirky in this and quite interesting to watch. So I thought that it really hit all the marks for me in terms of audience engagement. We've only got two minutes left on the clock here, Amy. How was the audio description? Audio description was really good. Um, what's important for audio description in, in a piece like this is um, some of the reminders of things that have happened to keep you on track. Because, of, of course, we are talking about a dead girl in, in this in this world, right? And so you have to kind of be reminded from time to time that that's the world that we're in. And so I think the audio description did a really good job of, of keeping us on track. Yeah, there can be some sight gags that go along with that that require yeah. some clear description to make sure we're keeping everybody included in what's happening. Amy, we've got uh, 90 seconds on the clock now. What would you say, how in terms of rating the series out of 10, where would you land it? 
Oh gosh, I gave this one a nine and a half. I probably could have given this one a 10, to be honest with you, because I watched it twice. I had so much fun. Um, so nine and a half, 10. I mean, they're, they're, you know, split the difference on that one if you'd like to. But really, I think it's the kind of thing that, that you will enjoy watching, even if you don't think that high school dramas are for you, because it's less about high school. That, that's more of just the world that we're in. But there's nothing juvenile about this. Um, it's just fun and an interesting spin on that world. What I always enjoy about shows like this is they can be a reflection of a generation or a reflection of a time. So even as I am becoming more and more out of touch with the young people, even though Mm -hmm. I still think I am one, I, in my mind, I'm there, I think possibly. And I'm also old. My foot hurts all the time, but I love these. I love these kinds of shows because I do feel like it connects me at least somewhat to, uh, at least the way that younger millennials might think about Gen Z. (laughs) Amy, we got to get out of here, but thank you for this. There's a lovely movie to come in the future, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes, indeedy. Yes, indeedy. That's Amy Amanti, our film reviewer in Vancouver, BC. After the break, it's the regional news update with Mike Ross. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, AMI.ca, or maybe you're listening on demand on the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, August the 4th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Sean Priest of Double Tap Canada will not just explain how you can access Windows 11 for ARM processors, but what the heck that sentence actually means. And Karen McGee will be here with the Central Regional Report. She has details on Boxing Without Barriers, an inclusive boxing program in Ottawa. We're going to jab it up. Karen McGee, we're going to jab and cross. Let's bring in Mike Ross for the Regional News Update. He is sneaky. She is sneaky good. I bet she throws a neat little check right hook. <laughs> you just got to watch for the rabbit punches. The right? ra- when, you, when you look away, when you look away and she <laughs> right to the back of your noggin. She was in the building yesterday. I got a great hug from Karen McGee. I was very happy about that. We no longer have COVID protocols in the building. So got a hug from Karen McGee. It was lovely. She didn't kidney shot you? Wow. No, not a single kidney shot at all. She felt bad for me because I'm limping around pretty good with my possible broken toe. I was going to say there must have been a referee in the building then to to keep an eye on her. (laughs) Well, Paula Deneen Uh, (laughs) was there. Paula Deneen was a witness if Karen Rabbit punched me. Dave, we're going to begin in British Columbia. And BC's Ministry of Health says it was grateful to be informed of an advertisement that a couple had placed in a newspaper looking for a family doctor. It says the couple were contacted by health officials about their prescription needs and booking an appointment with a doctor or nurse practitioner if required. This comes after Premier John Horgan said he's considering employing the same tactic to pressure the federal government after previous failed attempts to secure increased health funding. About a million people in B.C. don't have a family doctor, and Horgan says Canada's premiers lobbied the federal government for increased health funding last month during meetings in Victoria. To the prairies, a judge has ruled that five people set to stand trial later this month will not be able to argue that Manitoba COVID-19 public health orders violated their charter rights. Jerry Boheimer, Sharon Vickner, Todd McDougall, Patrick Allard, and Church of God Pastor Tobias Tisson 
were individually charged for alleged repeated violations of public health orders involved involving rather gathered gatherings outdoors between November 2020 and May 2021. They filed notices of application arguing their arrests were in violation of their charter right to assembly. Provincial Court Judge Victoria Cornick says her ruling in no way affects their presumption of innocence when they stand trial on August 22nd. An Alberta Health Services report shows a big spike in the number of times ambulances have not been available to respond to emergency calls in Calgary. The report obtained by CTV shows the number of red alerts in the city for the month of April was 10 times higher than three years before. The province says it's been dealing with an increase in emergency calls due to the effects of COVID-19, opioids and other concerns and notes that four new ambulances are serving Calgary, including new staff. Opposition NDP leader Rachel Notley says the United Conservative government needs to hire more full-time paramedics. In Ontario, Premier Doug Ford isn't committing to repealing a wage cap law that healthcare workers have said is a major source of concern. Some nurses say Bill 124, which capped wage increases for public sector workers to 1% a year for three years, has devalued their work. Ford says the provisions expire and won't apply their next or won't apply to their next contract negotiations, but didn't say that he would repeal it. Ford also says his government has offered nurses a $5,000 bonus and that the government has a target of hitting, of hiring rather, 5,000 more nurses to address the staffing shortages being reported across Ontario. And in the Atlantic region, the government of Newfoundland and Labrador says Quebec is sending assistance to battle forest fires raging on the island portion of the province. Quebec is sending seven crew members and three aircraft, including two water bombers, to central Newfoundland for a five to seven day period. Fisheries, Forestry and Agriculture Minister Derek Bragg says hotter than usual temperatures have led to more wildfires at greater sizes this year than usual. And finally, a clogged wastewater pump has city workers urging Halifax residents to stop discarding so-called flushable wipes into their toilets. Halifax Water says it has completed emergency repairs late Tuesday, only to have the pump quickly overwhelmed again Mm. by sodden wipes and rags yesterday. Utility says the wipes don't break down like toilet paper, which means they can foul screens, filters, and pumping station pumps. Earlier this week, people were warned not to swim in Halifax Harbor because the failed pump was causing screened but untreated water to be released into the harbor. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. I personally wouldn't swim in Halifax because of all the great white shark sightings. That's just me. The, the human <laughs> the human waste side of it is something that's totally different. Uh, Mike, great point there. The people are identifying that because I know a lot of folks do like to use some of those wet wipes um, yes. for, their, for their business. And it makes you feel uh, clean like a toddler in a tuxedo. But yeah, very, very bad for the pipes. Very, very it is. bad for the pipes. And, and, and- Honestly, Dave, I'm surprised that we're at this uh, point here because we've been hearing this for years, right? Like, doesn't matter what it says on it. It's say it's the same as the recycling symbol. Just because it's on the package 
doesn't mean your municipality actually recycles that particular uh, item. So mm-hmm. you really do have to be informed. Absolutely. Or, you know, just have a nice little plastic bag, just sort of like a little diaper bag, you know, like the adult the adult diaper bag. Just keep it next to the toilet. And if you need it, you throw it out and bada bing, bada boom. Compost uh, works too. You know what? Going too far down this rabbit hole. Got to stop, Mike. Let's move on to the sports chat. I don't know where I was going with that. So sometimes got to pull the eject button. Uh, Mike, a picture surfaced this morning of the new arena that the Arizona Coyotes are going to be playing in at Arizona State University. Intimate 5,000-person arena. Mike, not sure if you've seen the picture yet, but it looks really slick and really modern despite its size. Mike, how are you feeling about this intimate NHL arena for this upcoming season? Well, I've got mixed emotions about it. Number one, um, I just think that like a lot of fans, you're left scratching your head as to why we're at this juncture with the Coyotes. How they're in another arena. I mean, how many arenas have they played in now in their time in Arizona? I, I think, think this, this is, is their, their third, third or their fourth. Yeah. 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 And and that means that if it's their third, they're going to be at their fourth when they move into their new arena, which is supposed to be uh, being built. However, um, if they think, if they say they've got the numbers to back up that they can survive in this small arena for a couple of seasons, eh, it's their business. It's their, they've got to run it. I do think that the, the, the experience of seeing an NHL game in such a small venue with only uh, a lower bowl of seats, it looks kind of cool. Um, no, there's, there's all kinds of issues with the relationship that they're going to have with ASU. Oh yeah. People pointing out the fact that, uh, unlike the images that surfaced yesterday, the logo, uh, of the coyotes is not supposed to be at center ice that ASU said, no, they cannot paint their logo permanently at center ice, uh, because it's going to be a shared facility. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they said, you know, it's primarily, ASU's facility, um, but I, I do. <laughs> it is, I don't know. It is ASU's money. It is the Sun it Devils' money. money. Exactly. <laughs> and and I'll tell you what. Um, you know, having gone to some games to watch the Toronto Marlies at uh, what is now Coca Cola Coliseum. Oh yeah, Greek Coliseum. They've taken uh, you know a, a, an old century old building and dropped a hockey arena into it and maintained a lot of the the, the neat sort of nooks and crannies of that building that it just gives it some character. And I really appreciate that about that arena. So, um, you know, I'll be honest with you, Dave. I've, I, I, when I saw the images, I, I, I wasn't thinking much about Arizona at all. But when I saw those images yesterday, I thought to myself, maybe a winter road trip. Yeah. Uh, listen, yeah, I've, I've, I, I've talked about this on the air before. My, my folks have a place in Arizona. They live there in the winter. I am definitely considering going down to a game this year just to be that close and that intimate yeah. to players in a setting like that, I think would be really neat. And not to belabor the points here, but intimacy in pro sports are not necessarily a bad thing. When I was growing up, I used to go to a lot of Montreal Alouettes games at the Olympic Stadium, which was so gray and so anonymous. And then in the late 90s, they made the move to what at the time was called Molson Stadium at McGill. And that it was still a fairly big stadium, but it was a really kind of old and run down and no frills kind of stadium. 
And that that lent itself to the atmosphere of the Owls game, that moving to a smaller place, packing people in a little bit more tightly, and feeling that connection between fan and player was good for the team, it was good for the fans, and it was good for everybody. And I would even argue, since they did the renovations at Molson Stadium a couple years ago, the place hasn't felt the same. Now, that could be because the Alouettes have been stinky poopy for about uh, 10 years since they redid the stadium. But overall, sometimes moving into a more intimate place can actually be great for a team. Yeah, I agree. And, and let's say, you know, there's something to be said about uh, sports stadiums that are built into neighborhoods, right? Like I think of the, the, the first few years that I went to Hamilton Tiger Cat games oh, yeah. uh, at Ivor Wynn. You know, you, you, you literally park on somebody's lawn for five bucks and you walk to the stadium. Um, we, when I was living in Ottawa, we had the AAA baseball team. Well, my wife and I, when we were, we were dating at the time, we had season tickets for the first couple of seasons and the stadium was about a 10 minute walk from her house. It was, there was just something cool about walking through the neighborhood and going to a sporting event that, and then once you're in there, that small stadium intimacy that you, that you're talking about was fantastic. And now even in bigger stadiums, we saw the the renderings for um, uh, Rogers Center, the renovations mm-hmm. that they want to make there. Mm-hmm. Even there, you're going to be up at what was the 500 level, but they're still trying to create some kind of experience and intimacy, much like they have at the top of the Green Monster in Boston. Yeah, uh, you, you try and recreate or, or try and create rather an experience around being at the event. Uh, that that you just can't get. I mean, you cannot get more on top of the action than some of the seats down below the TD sections. I think they call them along the field the best seats in the house. <laughs> but in in some of the renovations that they're proposing, they're they are creating a different kind of intimacy where maybe between fans you can have more of an experience rather than just sitting in a row of seats. So it's it's kind of neat. And and so you know bring it back full circle to the coyotes. Uh I think there are a lot of people that are criticizing this whole thing because of the history of the Coyotes franchise. Mm. And people wonder why is the NHL still sticking with Arizona? Why have they not relocated this franchise? The NHL's you know, been pretty clear. They believe in Arizona as a market. And let's face it, people still go to the games. They do have a fan base there. People are still interested in being there. It may not be a big Canadian market. It may not even be as popular as most big American markets, but they still have a fan base there. And if you ignore that history and just look at the project here itself, as a sports fan, it looks pretty cool, and I think a lot of people are going to want to take a look at it. Yeah, the Phoenix metropolitan area is one of the biggest cities in the United States, so that's one of the reasons why they want to stay in that market. Yeah. Yes, certainly Vegas has changed the way they look at the Southwest as a linchpin, but the market size cannot be argued with, and it's a growing market as well, which also matters. Mike, just as, as we're walking away from this topic, you're a really well-traveled sports fan. Are there any sporting experiences, arenas, stadiums that really jump out to you? I've had a couple of baseball games that I really enjoyed. I've been to Fenway. I wasn't blown away by Fenway as, as an experience, but I thought it was cool just to be in there and breathe the oxygen. But the one that I loved was Coors Field in Denver. It's actually the second oldest stadium in the National League, which is crazy because they were an expansion team in the 90s. That tells you how these billionaires are getting them city dollars to put, put up uh, new stadiums. But I, I thought Coors was really cool. I thought it was really well laid out. 
It was really spacious. It was really comfortable. But they really did everything to make sure you as a fan were taken care of from the second you walked in the door to the second you left. I got a chance to uh, be uh, at Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium, a couple of times. And in one season, in the span of about a month, I got to go to old Yankee Stadium in its final season and Fenway Park. And like that was that was a heck of a summer to be at those two ballparks and having already experienced Yankee Stadium. That was cool. But Fenway, to me, there was just so many sort of weird angles and little hallways, little roofed roofed areas and and, and food concessions and things like that, that I ended up spending probably half the game walking around just exploring the stadium because it was such a neat place to, to sort of go through. It was cavernous at some points. Uh, it was, it was a great place. So I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, but as far as hockey arenas go, Maple Leaf Gardens still my absolute favorite building in all of Toronto. Um, But going, I, I, I remember going to the Montreal forum back in the day and some of those, the, 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 top of the, the, the forum, when you'd go to the standing room seats and it was wooden floors, right? Yep. Like these yep. long, long slats of, of wooden beams that made up the floors and things like that, that made those, those old arenas, those original six buildings were very, very special. My dad took me to a game at the forum and it's last season, a Tuesday night, the Habs versus the Panthers. And it was just special to be there. Cause he's had so many memories connected to that building for him that he was able to share that with me when I was young was something that was really, really cool. I don't, I don't even know if I've fully appreciated it at the time. But as I look back on it, it was such a great moment for me and my dad to spend some time together, which I loved. Mike, you mentioned the Fenway and Yankee Stadium thing. Have you done Wrigley Field? No, I've never been to Chicago. It's, you know, and I blew a great opportunity because when uh, the general manager from the Ottawa Lynx during my days working for them, then moved on eventually to working for the Cubs, where he was a director of pro scouting. And like, it would have been a perfect opportunity to go and and I would have gotten so much access and I just, I blew it. I missed my chance. And uh, so it's, it's absolutely on the, uh, on the list of places that I want to go to. And I know I've I've heard some people say that they think it's overrated as an experience. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I don't know what to make of that. (laughs) Like to me, it's Wrigley Field. Right. I mean, it's it's kind of like when you think about those original six buildings that are no more. Here's one that is right. Like they've just they haven't gone the Comiskey route. They haven't gone the Yankee Stadium route. They've yeah. they've done they've done improvements. Certainly they made changes to the stadium, but it's still at its heart. It's still Wrigley Field. It's not going to happen this summer, but next summer I want to do the Chicago-Milwaukee back-to-backer where I go see the Mm. White Sox, the Cubs, and then go see the uh, Brewers as well and hit all three of those stadiums in a couple days and have me a good time. Mike, we got to get out of here. Thank you for this. Okay, Dave. That's Mike Ross. He was here for the sports chat. Grace Scofield is here with the National Weather Update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's a mix of sun and cloud today with a 60% chance of drizzle this morning that will clear near noon with a high of 27 degrees. In Charlottetown, it's mainly sunny with a high of 28 degrees. In St. John, a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of 23 degrees. Over in Quebec City, It's cloudy, with a 60% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon, with a high of 25 degrees. 
In Toronto, it's cloudy today with a 40% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon with a high of 29 degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, it's cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and cloud near noon with a high of 22 degrees. Way to fight through that one. That was well done. Thank you. Thank you. In Brandon, Manitoba, (laughs) it's sunny today with a high of 29 degrees. In Regina, it's sunny with a high of 32 degrees today. Over in Lethbridge, Alberta, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 29 degrees. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's cloudy with a 30% chance of showers early this morning, with a 60% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm as well, and a high of 18 degrees. Up in Whitehorse, it's mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers early this morning that'll clear near noon and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon with a high of 22 degrees. In Kelowna, B.C., a mix of sun and cloud, becoming cloudy near noon with a 60% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm as well, with a high of 20 degrees. And in Vancouver, B.C., it's cloudy with a 30% chance of showers this morning and this afternoon that'll clear up around noon with a high of 20 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Well done, Grace. Got that frog out of your throat, leaped off the lily pad and nailed the landing. Well done indeed. Coming up next, Sean Priest of Double Tap Canada has some explaining to do because he's going to tell you how to access Windows 11 for ARM processors but he also needs to explain what that means for a Luddite like me. But first, OnePlus is showing off some new hardware. Here's Michelle Franzen with Tech Trends. Smartphone manufacturer OnePlus is out with the 10T, showing off the new Android device at its first in-person event since the start of the pandemic. It all happened Wednesday in New York City. There's nothing like getting back together in a room and having conversations with the community to really figure out, okay, how do we refine going forward? OnePlus Vice President Christian Anderson says the 10T comes with 125-watt charging. And what that actually means for consumers is you can charge your phone from 0 to 28% in three minutes. Anderson says those charging speeds are front-loaded, so the first couple minutes see the fastest speeds. As you get to all the way to full, what it does is it automatically slows down the charge, and that's for battery health and safety. Other specs include 120 hertz refresh rate, three rear cameras, and a $649 price tag. With Tech Trends, I'm Michelle Franz in ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's dive into the world of technology by talking to Sean Priest of Double Tap Canada. And of course, you can find that program Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. And you can find Sean in Manchester, England. Hello, Sean. Hello, Dave. How are you, sir? I've missed you. I've missed you too. Always nice to catch up. (laughs) Sean, one of my favorite promos that we run on this network is the Sean of the Shed promo, where you're always talking about jargon and how jargon can confuse and fool Mm -hmm. people. So I'm going to throw some jargon at you right now based on this conversation in regards to Windows 11 for ARM processors. I need an explainer of what ARM is. Oh, don't we all? Yes. Um, (laughs) It's actually an acronym, as all tech is, Advanced RISC Machine. Uh, RISC stands for Reduced Instruction Set Computing. 
and it gets even more confusing. Oh my gosh, from an, there. Acro- an acronym inside an acronym. Ins- I know. Oh, we've entered the matrix. Um, <laughs> so basically, to, to, to keep it simple, basically there are two sorts of computer. There's the Intel-based x86 architecture. It's called. It's just the way that the software works on a specific computer, and that's the sort of computer we've been using for years in Windows, in the big beige tower computers, and those huge laptops that only work for two hours before you need to plug them in again. Uh, but then came ARM computing with the smartphones. So that's uh, these new processors, these new way of uh, computing and software to uh, running software, uh, which. They last all day. You know, battery life is great. They're really thin. They don't get as hot. They don't need as much electricity. It's a new way of doing computing. So you've got these two different ways. And one, uh, they both have their pros and cons, basically. But ARM is significantly better for portability, for, okay. you know, take for tablets. And that's why, you know, smartphones are so popular because battery life is great and mm-hmm. performance is great. Yeah, fit in your so pocket. Now, and they fit in their pocket, uh, which is nice. Bring them right with you. Of course. Yes, exactly right. So now with that, Windows being the most popular operating system out there has been running on the normal way, the x86, well, let's call it, way of, of running computers on the old laptops and tower computers. Uh, so people want it to want the advantages of those ARM processors, of our smartphones, of our tablets, but they also want to be able to run Windows on those, uh, on that platform. Okay. So okay. for that reason, Microsoft have been working on Windows for ARM, basically processors. So Windows, uh, all the advantages of Windows, but basically in your pocket with all the advantages of your smartphone or tablets or, you know, the, the, the ARM processing world. I, I think you answered this right there, but I'm going to ask it again, hmm. just in case people are curious. Then what makes yes. this such a big deal about the integration of Windows 11 and ARM? Well, uh, yes, mainly for those reasons. So we want those... Um, Apple have recently moved, as we know, from the Intel com- uh, computers to their own Apple Silicon, the M1, the M2 mm-hmm. um, computers. And with that, they can make their, their computers ru- don't run as hot. They don't require as much power. So you get the battery life is excellent, all-day battery life. You don't need to have fans constantly running and whirring away. And, you know, it, it's the speed is great. Plus, you know, when you turn it on, you'd have to wait for five minutes for it to boot up. So that's the, as I said, that's the advantages of ARM. Um, so why this is a big deal is um, specifically that now that Mac computers are ARM-based only, people want the ability to run Windows on their Mac computers mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And I know, see, now we're going even more. It's so many twists and turns <laughs> with this. And, but the, the, the truth of, of the matter is that Windows for ARM actually has been around for a while. There has been a Windows 10 for ARM. There's been, I'm sure people will remember, Windows RT, uh, but all these previous versions of Windows ROM were absolute disasters. Okay. Nobody liked them. <laughs> the performance was terrible, and it was a total. It just went. Yeah. So, but now they've got Windows 11 for ARM. The reports that are coming in is that hey, hang on, this actually works, and it works pretty well. Uh, so there is some excitement coming from that point of view, and also the excitement is from these new M1 Mac uh, book owners is that. Now we can run Windows on our Macs as well. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? right. If you've got a Mac computer, 
there's some things that Macs do well. There's some things that Windows do well. If you've got the ability to run both operating systems on one machine, you've got the best of both worlds. Okay, Sean, if I dive too deep into the weeds here, you just pull me out and say, Dave, move on. Okay, hold so 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 bear <laughs> so with tricky. bear bear with me for one second. Because okay. I remember even back straight, say 10, 11 years ago when I was in broadcasting school. A lot of my colleagues were using Macs, but a lot of our editing software was only available on Windows. So what they were doing was what was called portioning part of their hard drive to be able to use Windows within the the Mac operating system as a portion of their hard drive. Is this going to make that a little bit more seamless? Because I remember the big complaint was, my gosh, we're destroying our computers. (laughs) <laughs> destroying well I, I i haven't heard it called that before um but i have heard it it was called a boot camp uh the ability to either boot into the mac operating system or boot into windows so you could choose at the beginning you know which one oh, you I wanted like to that. yeah be in now that was as i said called boot camp and with the apple silicon the new m1 max we lost that ability and there was a you know it, it was a shame uh, because people do rely on it, as you said, in in, in some employment as well, it was a uh, it was needed. Um, now that isn't back yet. Even with this Windows for ARM, Apple haven't supported it as yet. So Windows uh, Apple themselves okay. needs to okay. say, okay, we're going to allow you to do that. They did previously with the Intel um, MacBooks, but they haven't said that. Well, they haven't said anything really when it comes to what they're going to do with the M1. Right. Whether that but, might affect your, your warranty, your software safety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely right. Uh, but, but even before we get there, they need to say, you know what? We're going to allow Windows to run on our operating system. So far, even in boot camp, they said, we're not, we're not allowing it. We're, we're, you know, they haven't done it as yet. Not to say that they won't, but we'll have to wait and see. So what people are, and Stephen Scott, of course, he's got a, He's got a truckload of M1 Macs there. So he's uh, downloaded the um, Windows for ARM, Windows 11 for ARM, and he's trying it out. Because what you can do, even though you can't portion or boot camp, you can run it as a virtual machine. Okay. Uh, Yes, 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 yes. Feel free to say, shut up, Sean, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But a virtual machine, basically, it means you're running Windows on your Mac, just like it was another application, basically. You can switch to it and switch back to the Mac. It runs on top of the Mac. Um, In many ways, it's the ideal world because, as I said, you can quickly switch between the two. You don't have to reboot and say, I want to boot into Windows this time or Mac. You can run it inside. Or keep your file management more singular, right? That if I want to pull a file here from there, it's a lot easier to move it back and forth. That's so good. You're absolutely right. Look at at Luddite Brown flexing some technological muscles today. (laughs) I'm so impressed with you, Dave. It's all the the tutoring that you, Mark, Stephen, Nelson, (laughs) and uh, Mike have done for me over the years. Well done. Um, (laughs) Yes, you know, you're absolutely right. So... you, you flummoxed me now, Dave. I've sorry, lost my friend. sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, well, you were you were talking about the way in which it typically could be used as almost uh, like yes. an overlay before a That's virtual right. machine logging in, almost like you were logging into say Microsoft Teams, like an application point of view. Absolutely. That. Uh, thank you. Perfect. Yes. Yeah, so there's virtual machines that you can run on the new M1 Max. Uh, that do support Windows 11 for ARM, and that's what Stephen has been doing. So uh, he's been using a program called Parallel, which uh, well parallels which is a virtual machine program, which allows you to run Windows 11 for ARM. And uh, yeah, so he's going to be telling us all about how he's found it, how the performance is. He's been running 
the new Jaws, the, the screen reader, and people, because of my accent, I'm saying job access with speech, Jaws, not Jules. Um, yeah, I, people keep picking me up on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, the, the, the new Jaws screen reader for ARM, uh, which is also in technical uh, preview. Uh, he's been running that and having great results. So, yeah, it looks like after many false starts with Windows 10 and Windows RT, that Windows 11 for ARM actually is going to be a viable option. And maybe finally we can get the sort of hardware where we don't have to charge it every two hours, where it's not sucking up, you know, thousand watts of power every two seconds and heating up like the center of the sun. Mm. Uh, and we can get nicer, uh, more user friendly hardware running ARM processors and actually have our screen readers and Windows 11 running fine on them. Maybe. Last question here, Sean. If somebody somebody's ears have been perked and they understand what we're talking about today and they <laughs> want to access ARM, uh, Windows 11 on their ARM machine, is it relatively straightforward for them to access that, to install that? Is, is it relatively easy or is this still oh. for more of the tech heads? <laughs> I would love to say it's so easy, but Absolutely, it's not. Not not only that, it, it's not so much the technical problems. The accessibility on parallels isn't there. Um, you're going to need sighted assistance. Um, there's also, um, yeah, these are all in technical previews. So I honestly wouldn't recommend it yet. But um, you can do it if you need to, but you do need to. I wouldn't do it on a, a main machine. Okay. Um, so, yeah, basically I say it's for the geeks. It's for the geeks. It's for, it's for the, the nerds. It's for the Stephen Scotts of the world. So <laughs> let's wait and see until it comes out officially. And Stephen Scott will give us the big deep dive tonight on Double Tap Canada. Sean, thank you for this. We always appreciate you making us a little bit smarter. <laughs> no problem. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's Sean Priest. He's one of the hosts of Double Tap Canada. You can find the program tonight, Thursdays, 7 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up after the break, I've got the accessibility story roundup. Nazreen Abdelmajid has what's trending. And Grace Scofield will tell you what's going on in the world of entertainment. This is now with Dave Brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We'll bring in Grace and Nizreen in just a moment. But first, I have the Accessibility Story Roundup. (laughs) This story coming to you from OKPlayer.com, written by Jewel Wicker. The need for black sign language interpreters in hip-hop, one of the key focuses of this story is Matthew Maxey, the founder of Definitely Dope, a company that provides interpreting and consulting for artists who want to make their material more accessible. He got his start posting American sign language interpretations of hip-hop songs online, and he's toured and worked with major stars like Chance the Rapper. Black interpreters like Maxi shared that they worry the cultural meanings of rap songs can get lost in translation based on who is working as an interpreter. For example, during a Zoom interview, Maxi used the word drip to show how the term could easily be misconstrued by a sign language interpreter who only knows the traditional meaning. So drip, for example, would be the way in which you're fashionable. But uh, the way in which it was signed was drip, as in a faucet dripping, which you think, okay, well, that's not really too big a deal. But at the end of the day... To my mind, it speaks to intersectionality. People and cultures and language and arts are all connected. And context 
is always useful. So as language evolves and culture evolves and new voices emerge, how we communicate inclusively has to evolve too. So whether that's the slang that goes along in hip hop or country or rock or whatever form of music you think about, the people who can authentically offer that kind of interpretation matter. Let's bring in Nizreen Abdelmajid to find out what's trending. Nazreen, what's popping off there on social media? Now, this is a little low on the list, but it did catch my attention. Okay, that's all good. It's okay if it's low yeah. on the list, as long as it caught your attention, as long as it makes you pop. Exactly. So You do you, Metro- boo. <laughs> I love that. So according to Metro News, a scientist found that there's a type of cheese that's actually good for you. Oh. Uh, oh. Nor- <laughs> and I know, I know you're into cheese. I know you're into cheese, so this is good for you. No, don't roll the entertainment roll. We need to talk about cheese. No, this is is the way to get me out of here. But a Norwegian cheese can help stop bones from getting weaker without boosting cholesterol. Uh, The researchers hope that in the future it can... uh, It could stop osteoporosis and help prevent diabetes. So researchers um, had suggested that it boosts levels of osteocalcin, which is a hormone that strengthens your bones and teeth. But for the study, they had 66 healthy women who were either given the 57 grams of portion of Charlesburg or 50 grams of camembert cheese every day for six weeks. And I just want to remind you that participants were all healthy, healthy weights, and had an average age of 33. So this is a small study. Uh, More research needs to be done. This is not a suggestion, a recommendation to eat a particular type of cheese. I just slammed a block of cheese while you were talking. Yeah. To to improve my bone health. Got you craving some cheese. It's my walking around Um, cheese. (laughs) Not a big fan of those tinky cheese, but you know, I, I can wait. Eat cheese. Nizreen, name the two cheeses that they uh, that they were using again. Camembert and which one? So Charlesburg uh, and uh, Camembert. Camembert, cheese. okay, all right. Charlesburg and Camembert. Nizreen, what's your favorite cheese? Uh, cheddar. Oh. No, mozzarella. Mozzarella. It's basic. Basic. Yeah, let's, I know. I'm basic. Let's let's see if Grace can I'm do any. OG. Let's see if Grace can do any better. Grace, what's your favorite cheese? I am a Parmesan cheese fan. I don't know what it is, but like a fresh, like a block of Parmesan cheese. That is my jam. Oh, block of Parmesan. Like just like you just grate it. Like when they give you like the grater at the restaurant over top of your pasta and you've like got the fresh Parmesan cheese on it. That's, that's my, that's my dream. I thought you eat it like the block. I will also do that. Honestly, I can just chip it off the block. Well, Parme- Parmesan's a little tough to eat right <laughs> off the block, though. It's kind of it's very firm cheese, right? Very but firm you just cheese. chip away at it, and you know it'll it'll be a good snack. Okay, <laughs> how is no one here talking about provolone? Provolone's an amazing cheese. Provolone's great. Feta, the good people, the good people of Greece would tell us the Greek you salad me and feta. Basic. Well, feta is not like, basic cheese. Yeah, those are just kind of there. They're cheeses. Whoa, they don't really have much whoa, taste. Whoa, I feel attacked right now. Uh, do we have Do we have Ramya on the line? Is Ramya, is Ramya uh, on the phone right now? Or, uh, on TV? I'm here. Ramya, what's I'm the here. best cheese? What's your favorite cheese? 
I do love feta. Feta's Thank not a just there cheese. You, feta's amazing. Romeo. I knew I could count on you. So it is, good. but you called me basic for saying uh, mozzarella. Cheddar, yeah, cheddar and mozzarella. Okay. Like, that's just pizza and but hamburgers. There is, there is some nice cheddar out there, though, Dave. Like, some nice smoked cheddar. Did you get ever have smoked cheddar oh, with yeah. a we jalapeno go. in it? Oh, yeah. Yes. Jalapeno. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Mm-hmm. We're doing the jalapeno, though. So then you got to do the Monterey Jack with the jalapeno. True. That's where that's, yes. that's going to live. Or with the, with the Gouda. True. With the Gouda. Gouda is right. Gouda. Gouda is good. Gouda morning. Uh, Nazreen, thank you for this. That wasn't a cheesy topic at all. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) That's Nazreen Abdelmajid. Let's go over to Grace Scofield to find out what's happening in the world of entertainment. Grace, the tax man coming for Shakira. Absolutely. And there's an update to the story. This story came out a while ago, but now Spanish prosecutors say that she should serve an eight-year prison term for tax fraud. Apparently, eight years and two months if she's convicted in her expected trial for tax fraud. She says that she's paid all of her taxes. According to... The Spanish government, there's a fine of 24 million euros, almost $31 million for the amount of money that she owes to the government. Apparently, she owes them nearly $19 million in taxes between 2012 and 2014, where she was splitting her year in Spain and other locations, but she spent more than half the year in Spain which is why she should owe the country taxes. Right, it, cl- it makes it, they claim that makes her a resident, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. and they want a piece of the pie. Yes, and so they offered her a settlement deal, which was, she rejected that, and she's opted to go to trial instead. A trial date has yet to be set for Shakira, but she can face up to eight years and two months in prison. But she's going to tell you that her tax slips don't lie. Exactly. Much like her song. Exactly. That's what her PR PR department said. Oh, it's on tonight. My tax slips don't lie and I'm starting to flee. There we go. (laughs) Redemption. Embezzling. Redemption. (laughs) Redemption. Uh, Grace, thank you for this. Of course. And uh, hopefully that doesn't get us a copyright flag on the podcast. Let's bring in Ramya Emuthan to find out what's coming up on Kelly and Company later today at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Hey, good morning, Ramya, once again. Oh, morning, Dave. I just got to ask, like, was that an impromptu lyric change no, parody? No, when that news okay. When that news story came out uh, originally last year as part of the, yeah. I think it was the Paradise Papers that got leaked on the news panel. I was telling Juita Gupta and Michelle McQuig that I'd written a much actually longer version of that song, but I'd since forgotten uh-huh. many of the lyrics. You know, in a different life, I could have been Weird Al Yankovic, but instead I'm just Dave Brown. I really think so. Like, that was really good. Uh, Anyways. Well, thank you, Rami. I always, I always appreciate the positive praise. You know, not just people barking at me for my cheese selections. Uh, Rami, <laughs> right. what's coming up on the show today? So we have Susan Kearney, uh, our gardener. She's covering plants that we can use to help our pollinators. We know our pollinators are struggling right now, Dave. And she talks about this pretty often on our um Uh, gardening segment. So she's going to tell us about plants that we can use to help our pollinators out, not just hurt them. And community reporter Annette Dennis is stopping by. She's talking about summer events happening at the Covent Garden Market in London, Ontario, including, there's so many of these good ones, by the way, but including the London Brunch Fest. They have a whole festival of brunch. brunch. I know. It's so awesome. And then uh, on our CNIB Smart Life segment, we're learning about HumanWare's newest offering in the world of orientation and mobility. It's called the Stellar Trek, and we're going to learn more about it. Oh, yeah. We talked about that a little bit with uh, Steven Scott a couple of weeks ago, the, uh, the, nice. the, the Stellar Trek. That's really neat. Uh, Ramya, as soon as you started talking there, Grace Scofield stabbed me right in the back and said, provolone, terrible cheese. 
Grace Scottfield oh. generally does not like my cheese or my food takes, Brutal. generally speaking. Brutal. Right in my back. Yeah, I remember with the hot dog conversation, that was definitely a foresight for how this <laughs> cheese conversation was going to go. Listen, I just be me and I like the way I live and I'll keep shoving all the provolone in my face. More provolone for me and y'all can have all the healthy camembert that you want. Uh, what did the, you know what, I'm not going to tell that dad joke today because I already just gave away the punch. Now I'll tell it anyway. What did the, what did the uh, cheese wheel say to the bear? I don't know, Dave. Come on, bear. Come on, bear. Okay. Good one. Uh, I think we'll go back to the weird owl stuff. What what did the priest say when he found out that his church was infested with cockroaches? I don't know, Dave. Let us spray. Oh, geez. (laughs) Okay. Okay. This is a cheesy joke to end a cheesy segment. Ramya, thank you for this. Well, thank you. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. What do you think? One more dad joke for the trifecta. I was in the bookstore, and I saw a book that said, this book will solve half your problems. So I bought two. Coming up after the break, Karen McGee will be here with the Central Regional Report. She'll tell you all about Boxing Without Barriers, an inclusive boxing program in Ottawa. Get these hands with Karen McGee. This is now with Dave Brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Karen McGee is here for the Central Regional Report. Karen is a content development specialist for AMI and joins us from Ottawa, Ontario. Getting out of Morrisburg. was in Toronto yesterday, Ottawa today. Karen McGee, world traveler, how are you? Turning into a big city girl, Dave. Big city through and through. Hey, Karen Let's uh, talk about the Great Lakes and specifically an update on an individual who is crossing the Great Lakes via paddle border. It's Mike Shorman. So give us an update on how the journey's going. So we've talked about him on the air before. I know I've talked about him on Kelly and Company. I've talked about him um, on now. Um, all things considered, it's going pretty well. Just to recap, he's trying to be the first person with disabilities to cross all five Great Lakes. Lake Erie, May 27th, took him seven hours. June 13th, he crossed Lake Huron in 28 hours. On July 5th, it was an eight-hour crossing of Lake Superior. And last Wednesday, he made history being the first athlete with disabilities to cross Lake Michigan. Made it to Chicago around 8.45 a.m. after taking nearly 26 hours to cross the 71 kilometers. So another overnighter there. Um, The reception he's been receiving both in Canada and the United States has been amazing. He's been getting lots of support, lots of press. Um, Mike developed Ramsey Hunt syndrome four years ago. As a result, he became depressed after losing his sense of balance, ability to speak. Um, His eyesight and hearing have drastically changed as well. Um, And one side of the face has collapsed. So he's doing this to sort of raise awareness for mental health, especially in youth, um, considering how his illness affected him. And Dave, a little trivia time here on a Thursday. Can you name me the name of the celebrity who recently revealed he currently has Ramsey Hunt syndrome? That would be a Justin Bieber who just made his return to the stage a couple of days ago. It was too easy for you. Nah, well, right. you know, I'm all I'm all over the Biebs. I'm all over the Biebs. When the Biebs is on the move, Dave Brown's so, all over that. I'm on the Biebs beat. So, lot, so lots of Tim Hortons, Bieber's yeah, products. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm on the Biebs bits beat. Rolling wow. right off the tongue there. Uh, Karen, I counted four Great Lakes in the way you set up that story. When does he intend to cross Lake Ontario? 
for somebody in media, you're pretty good at math, Dave. <laughs> um, according to what Mike told the Ottawa Sun, he's looking at attempting the crossing sometime between August 10th and 17th. Um, they can't give an exact date because they have to find a time when winds, currents, and weather work best for them. He's going to be starting in Youngstown, New York, and will end up in Toronto's Harborfront Center. Karen, every time we talk about the Great Lakes, I like to pose this question. In your opinion, which Great Lake is the best? I'm partial to Lake Huron because that's where we had Jeff's island was. My husband's island was for many years, his family island. Um, so I'm partial to Lake Huron. Lake Huron in the summertime as the sun goes down with the turquoise waters looks like the French Riviera. I've got to say that's pretty hard to beat. And it's not quite as cold as Lake Superior, even though that's Lake right. Superior in its name is the Superior Lake. Wow. And there's a song written about it. That's true. There's a song written about it as well. Somebody sing it. We got time. I think mm, the whole thing. No. You know what? Let's finish. Let's finish our next story. And if we have time, Karen, <laughs> we'll get to some. We'll get to some singing at the tail end of this. Because let's move to the world of boxing. Let's throw some hands here. In, in June, the Ottawa Sports Council introduced their latest community sport, boxing without barriers. So, what do they have to offer here? So I think they picked a really worthwhile organization to spotlight. Uh, Boxing Without Barriers, they, what they do is they work with groups that traditionally have not had a lot of representation in sport, especially in boxing. So some of the groups we're talking about are people with disabilities, women and girls, and deaf youth. Um, so these populations, like I said, have been traditionally underrepresented. Um, so these workshops are developed towards them. And Dave, I think you and I are both aware of the many benefits that sports provide, given your, um, your athleticism. Oh, yeah. Um, it creates a sense of self-awareness, self-confidence, self-esteem, enhanced social skills. Uh, you get to meet lots of friends um, and you can become more motivated. One of the things that makes this program stand out is the way they coach. So not everybody learns the same way. And traditional coaching is very linear. You, you played hockey as a youth, right? I did. I did very poorly. <laughs> very, no, no, I, you're, I wouldn't believe that. Um, coaching is very linear. So what they do is they take what they call a more holistic approach to sports program development, which is beneficial to athletes of all abilities, and it caters to different learning styles. Um, they take physical, cognitive, and social elements of sport into consideration when they design their programs. And they also offer a mixed abilities boxing program in partnership with the Beaver Boxing Club, which is mm, very popular and yeah, well-known in Ottawa. Great boxing um, club. Really great. I did a lot of coverage for them when I worked for another network. Um, this program is the first of its kind in Ontario, and the athletes are able to train together. And I know you like to dabble in the sports world. Have you ever tried boxing? I've done a little bit of kickboxing as part of some overall mixed martial arts training that I used to do in uh, 2008 and 2009. Uh, more grappling-based, more than boxing for me. But I actually, one of my at-home workout routines that I developed during the pandemic is a boxing routine, is a shadow boxing routine. And that's one of the things that I think makes boxing a great adaptive sport because really and truly, you don't need a lot of space. You don't need any equipment. And you can get a nice little cardio workout in there and just move around a little bit, whether you have a mobility concern or whether you have a sensory concern, you should still be able to throw a couple punches and feel good and get a couple deep breaths in there. That's that's true. I mean, does we boxing count? Because I've we, done that. Oh, Karen, we boxing for sure counts. In fact, I should have bounced the question back to you. Have you ever put the gloves on and thrown some hands? Does hockey, do hockey fights count? Of course. I'm throwing hands right now. The hockey fights, oh, of course okay. they count. All right, so we'll throw in a couple of hockey fights when I was much younger. Um, but definitely, I like the Wii boxing, and I still use, I still have an old school Wii. So it still works, <laughs> knock on wood. You have every video game console that's ever been made, Karen. I mean, that's, Do you that's, have a bit of a collection? It's part of your gimmick. I, I still have my N64 just sitting there comfortably next to my TV you as sell well. It? No, I do not. <laughs> I'm keeping that workhorse forever. Um, 
Turns out one of the games that I bought not too long ago, like, sells for over 200 bucks on eBay now, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, Karen, let's get back to this Adaptive Boxing Club, the Ottawa, the Boxing Middle Borders uh, program. If people are interested and want to learn how to throw a jab and a cross and an uppercut, how do they sign up? Uh, boxingwithoutbarriers.ca. Um, their programs do sell out really quickly, so you have to jump on and, and sort of see what's going on there. And I forgot to mention their summer pilot program. Um, it's a program in ASL, American Sign Language, for deaf and hard of hearing athletes. So I think that's pretty interesting too. They're taking everything into account where they're trying to make boxing a fully accessible sport for people, which I just love. Yeah, and big shout out to Ottawa boxer Castillo Clayton. Suffered the first loss of his career recently, but still an awesome boxer, great fighter, and hopefully he gets his way back into the mix soon as well. Okay, Karen, which song were you referring to in regards to the song about the Great Lakes? Because I assume there's been more than just one song about Great Lakes. Well, what one do you think I'm thinking of? The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Okay, that's kind of where I figured you were going to go. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's other ones. I can't think of them off the top of my head. I'm sure the Tragically Hip did some. What 50, if... Where, 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 50 Mission Cap, where did he Where did he drown? Uh, mm, uh, you're, you're, you're putting me on the spot here, and I don't have that kind of trivia. Kind of what, like when what, I... Blue Rodeo also referenced Lake Ontario. Uh, Grace, you were in my ear there. You, you, can, you can speak up right on the air. Uh, the 50 Mission Cap was about Bill Barilko, who was in a plane crash. Not a drowning, but it was okay. in northern Ontario. See, there you go. But Cap, was Cap was fun. Why did I think it was a drowning? Northern, okay. northern Ontario insider Grace Scofield with the inside scoop Thank on you. that one. You know, it could be that some folk singer, if they haven't already done it, should do an entire album about the Great Lakes. Just name one song Superior, one song Huron, one song Ontario, one song Michigan, and just write one individual song about each Great Lakes, release the AP, and be famous forever. Ooh, let's you and I do that. I got time. Um, I'm too busy writing Shakira parody songs. I don't have time to be writing proper folk music. <laughs> uh, Karen, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave. It was great seeing you yesterday. It was awesome seeing you too. Best hugs in the business, Karen McGee. That's Karen McGee, a content development specialist for AMI, joining us from Ottawa, Ontario, my old stomping grounds on Holland Avenue. Oh, how I miss that space, and oh, how I miss Gabriel's Pizza. We'll be here again tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.